From Anchor.fm out of Philadelphia, I'm Quincy Stallworth with Kingsay Questions. Today we interview talented comedian, composer, and Philadelphia-based musician Josh Matches. He's an incredible guy to talk to. As a matter of fact, you'll hear me laugh a lot through the conversation. I want you to laugh too, so please sit back, put in your earbuds or your earphones, turn up the volume, and get a good laugh of this incredible musician who has a very, very curious perspective of everything. Hey, but first, let's take a break and listen to our sponsor. Your brand is operating on your behalf 24 hours a day, and brand consistency builds confidence. At 1030 Designs, we help you build brand confidence by creating cohesive logos, social media posts, websites, and marketing materials so your audience knows who you are at a glance. We're here to help, and we're ready to get busy for you. Visit us at 1030designs.com today. That's 1030designs.com. This is Quincy Starworth with Kingsay Questions, and today's guest is Josh Matches. He's an incredible, talented comedian and singer-songwriter musician here and around the Philadelphia area. How you doing there, Josh? Doing good, doing good. I'm glad to be here. All right, thank you so much. Josh, uh, you are an extraordinary comedian, uh, and I do enjoy your sense of humor. My question is, is the life of a comedian Difficult. I've heard Rodney Dangerfield compared to being like a door-to-door vacuum salesman. Yeah, I think uh, like Rodney Dangerfield says, most comedians uh, could say, "I get no respect." Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a difficult industry to be in. There's basically no middle class to the industry you're either making (laughs) wow you're basically either rich and famous or you make nobody you you make no money and you're a nobody Uh, so it's um you know unlike music where i can i can make my living no yeah uh you know even if i'm not playing a concert i can play i can do recording session i can do you know background music i can play for private events or whatever um there's there's no such thing as background comedy like nobody is gonna hire you for uh like at a restaurant during dinner to tell jokes for people that didn't expect to hear any jokes you know Um, yeah so you're basically you know if you're not if you're not selling out the clubs and you're not on TV, there's there's really not that much money in it. You really you know, and it's possible 
you know, to, to do it on your own DIY, as we say in the, in the music world. Uh, but it's definitely um, a, a difficult living for sure. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, in an interview uh, on Comedians with Cars, he was coming out of his car and there was some uh, a, a TMZ type guy and he was making <laughs> jokes saying, hey, Jerry, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And Jerry Seinfeld with a very aggressive, uh, his serious face is very aggressive. Yeah. He said, you're not funny. And he said, nothing you're saying is funny. He says that people walk up to him all the time with ideas of what is funny. And he says, you can tell who's been in front of a room of people and who is who sits in their head and thinks, you know, has a, a studio audience sitting in their head. Yeah. He said, every comedian deals with that. Is that true? I mean, for sure. Uh, it's, I definitely get that often like, hey, you can use this one if you want. And, uh, you know, I'll tell them to their face. I'm not going to use that one. Uh, <laughs> and if uh, it's a hit and it gets you onto the, the Tonight Show, they want their money for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, mostly, though, it's just because it's not, it's not, yeah, like Jerry says, it's not that funny. Um, or, you know, mo mostly, I think... Um, this is with non-comics or new comics too, I think is, um, most people don't actually know what a punchline is or how to write one. So they'll think a funny anecdote will get them by, you know, you right. see a lot of new comics getting on stage and telling the story that, you know, maybe it crushed at the party. They, you know, they went to with their friends and they told a group of friends a little story uh, but that's not going to work in a club setting um, where the pretense is uh, make me laugh. Right. Um, so, yeah. Is that, is, is that, did I answer the question? <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> it's, it's also interesting how you'll have people like myself. I'm really good conversational wise, mm -hmm. but I would never, and people call me a comedian, but I'm not a comedian. Right. I'm just good. I just know how to get along with people and I know how not to make others the butt of the joke. I know how not to um, insult people, mm -hmm. you know, for my own uh, pleasure. Um, but so many people are confused that because they can entertain, you know, three or four of their friends within their clique, not knowing they play the role of the jester yeah. in their court, that they can step into the world of comedy. Mm -hmm. And even people I know who are really good at it, I try to tell them, you need to start writing this stuff down so one day you can do comedy. Yeah. And they look at me like I'm crazy. What, what would you recommend the first step? for a person who's a good conversationalist who wants to step out onto the stage? Well, this will feel awkward at first, but I would say for the first year or so, every time you make somebody laugh, write down what you said, hmm. and preferably in the wording that you said it in. Um, and then see if you can write a setup for it because you already have your punchline. I've always found it's easier to write from the punchline because you already know that's funny. You, you made people laugh with it. And if you truly are funny 
and you are able to write setups for, you know, a large percentage of those jokes that you told in, in conversation, you'll have five, 10 minutes before you know it. Um, hmm. And it, you know, it definitely will feel awkward and perhaps even look awkward if every time you make somebody laugh, you're diving for your phone. But uh, <laughs> that is uh, like when you're about to eat something, you have to take a photo. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but if you're really, you know, if you're really into it, you know, maybe, maybe you can sacrifice some, uh, some um, etiquette for, <laughs> for jokes, you know. What led you into comedy? I've actually always loved it. Um, the first time I ever did it, I was actually 12 years old. I did a summer camp talent show. And even before that, I recall um, watching those early, early Conan O'Brien late show episodes. I don't even know why my parents allowed me to stay up this late. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, I remember, I remember uh, watching Andy Richter on the Conan O'Brien, the first Conan O'Brien late night show, um, which was probably like ninety one, ninety two. Mm. So I was six or seven. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I've always been really into comedy. I through element, you know, elementary school through high school, I was constantly watching, you know, all the stand up on and sketch shows on Comedy Central and HBO and stuff like that, like your Mr. Show and your um, Key and Peel and Chappelle Show and all that stuff. Uh, so now, I've just always been into it. Now you said your your, your parents allowed you to stay up very late. Um, what's the parental support network like? for a comedian like yourself? Uh, my parents like it. Um, I don't think they see a future in it, but <laughs> they, uh, they, they like my comedy. They like that I'm entrepreneurial, you know, that I run a bunch of shows around town. Uh, yeah, they're, they're very supportive of both, yeah, the comedy and the music. I equivalent the Philadelphia comedians and in South Jersey comedians and Delaware comedians kind of like cliques of superheroes. Mm -hmm. um, certain groups of comedians are like the Avengers, others are like the Justice League. You know, you always have that really dark comedian who takes it very serious, like Batman. Mm -hmm. And then you have that hopeful looking comedian who you know he's like captain america or superman maybe even spider-man which superhero or the uh super villains like your louis ck right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm not about that i'm not about allegedly 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 where, where would you classify yourself in uh the world of superheroes um i'm definitely a weirdo so i guess um you know, maybe like uh, Watchmen or something like that. Um, <laughs> the comedian Watchmen comedian? Uh, probably not him, but, you know, <laughs> just in this metaphor. <laughs> I'm not saying anything specific. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, who, who inspired you to, like, you start this at 12 years old. 
I mean, who some someone you saw at at somewhere around eight, nine, or ten made you say, "I think I can do that." Yeah, I would say definitely um, that era of Conan, uh, that era of um, the early '90s Saturday Night Lives. Um, the Simpsons for sure. Uh, all that, like, I think probably the reason I have such a weird sense of humor is maybe because those early '90s Nickelodeon shows were just so bizarre. I've actually been um, revisiting some uh, Ren and Stimpy and Rugrats uh, on on uh, online in the last week, and I'm like, man, no wonder I'm a weirdo. Uh, they just had such twisted sense of senses of humor um, yeah, on the Nickelodeon shows. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. It's funny because they were bringing Ren, Ren and Stimpy back, and my wife's all excited about it. And I'm like, I, I never liked that sense of humor ever. anyway. It used to <laughs> freak me out for some reason. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, they definitely leaned into the gross stuff a little bit. It was like uh, cringy, awkward, and and just you know uncomfortable. <laughs> it just made me like uh, I I I I watch GI Joe. I'll just watch GI Joe. Yeah. Let me reintroduce really fast for those of you who just joined us. I'm with talented singer, songwriter, comedian, and composer Josh Matches. You can find more of his work on JoshMatches.com. We'll be back with more. Can you see questions with Josh Matches after this? Your brand is operating on your behalf 24 hours a day, and brand consistency builds confidence. At 1030 Designs, we help you build brand confidence by creating cohesive logos, social media posts, websites, and marketing materials so your audience knows who you are at a glance. We're here to help, and we're ready to get busy for you. Visit us at 1030designs.com today. That's 1030designs.com. with the incredible comedian, composer, musician, Josh Matches. Josh, what is happening, my friend? Hey. Now, you're an incredibly talented musician and in many, many bands. Mm -hmm. uh, are, are you dealing with a sort of split musician personality? Because you play classical, upright, bass or or cello in a video and then i saw you play bass for a uh, an incredible band you're in dirty Dow house with yep. chelsea mitchell yep you know i mean do you ever get those confused the bass chords sometimes uh no i think um in in the root of everything 
uh, it's all just good music and um, everything that I've learned, you know, I just have, I just have wide ranging interests, obviously. Um, and I think everything informs one another. Um, I, I think it can get confusing in your early musical life. Mm-hmm. Uh, to know what's appropriate to put where, um, but uh, you know I'm in my mid 30s now, so um, I've definitely figured out what is appropriate to do when and with who, and um, and then you know in my own music I can I can be as confusing as I want and uh, and nobody can tell me otherwise so yeah you're you're in you're in so many amazing bands uh, I'm going to name a few I'm going to name them all actually TJ Kong the Atomic Bomb Josh Matches Brasses uh Arc Arc Arcana New Music Ensemble did I pronounce that right yeah Arcana. okay Dirty Dow House Hurricane Hoss and David Fantasy and Adult Content that Last band, is, it feels like a, a leather strap is going to whip me across the arm because I shouldn't be looking at it. <laughs> uh, when do you have time? How do you manage a rehearsal schedule with all of these bands? Um, well, I think most of the rehearsals will happen up front, like in your first year of being a band when you're really trying to figure out what, what the band is. Um, so beyond, beyond that first year, you're mostly going to rehearse as maintenance or to work on new material. So you might have a big spurt of rehearsals if, if there's a new album coming up. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's, it's not so bad. Most of the bands uh, and ensembles that I play in are, are um, predominantly professional musicians without day jobs. Right. right. So, um, so it's easy to figure out rehearsal times throughout the week and during days. Um, and then for those folks that aren't uh, full-time musicians, you know, you'll get your night times in. Uh, it is a little bit tricky to schedule gigs because with all of those bands, as well as um, my freelancing that I do, and you know, I as long as that list was that you that you rattled off, that's that's actually not even close to all the bands. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I was just trying to keep it concise for the for the bio, you know. Right. Um, so. Yeah, it, it does become a with with those bands that I am the main bass player in. Uh, there is a first come first serve kind of thing with gigs. So if I already said yes to uh, one of these gigs, then then somebody else asks me, I you know I have to say I can't do that date, unfortunately. Uh, so uh, do you create a a bit of a a jealousy thing because you go from being as a bass player you go from being people are kind of sketchy about you like oh, i don't know about that guy to becoming like the hottest blonde 
in high school. That's the thing about bass players. Like, first, no one's really sure about, like, you know, what are you doing Friday? What are you doing Friday? What are you doing Saturday? Well, I need Friday and Saturday. <laughs> so, I can't speak uh, to uh, being hot because I've never experienced that. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would say definitely um, certain people, I'm sure, have uh, stopped calling because I kept saying that I couldn't do a gig, you know. Yeah. So it's. Yeah, you're, you're you've been turning down a lot of Friday night dates. I, I get you. Yeah. I, yeah. But I, you know, I try to be I try to be honorable honorable about it. I really try not to like, you know, if I already have a gig, I try not to. And somebody else asks me to do something, even if maybe on on that particular day it seems like a more attractive gig. I try to right. say I can't, you know, unless it's undeniable, like this is going to change my career. Like I, I just won't sub out. And uh, fortunately I've, I've been able to in certain situations with these bands, been able to find someone to fill in if, if we really needed something, you know, to happen. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely complicated to be, uh, to have such diverse interests, but you know it's worth it. I think. Now, also, I'm 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 reading I'm reading your bio, and, and I couldn't find any video of you playing the instrument. But you're also a salsaphonist, which is better known to most people as a tuba. Yeah, sousaphonist. Oh, sousaphonist! Wow, there goes dyslexia attacking <laughs> again. <laughs> so much. I want you to know that sousaphones are, 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 are like some of the, you're either good at it or you're absolute nightmare at it. And, and to get good at it, you have to practice. Oh, yeah. And I've seen a lot of young people, they start with these uh, instruments, these brass wind instruments, and, and they'll hear a few uh, discouraging words, and then it sits in a basement and collects dust. Yeah. Um, you're actually good at it. Yeah. Uh, are you, do you, where, what band do you currently play the sousaphone in? Well, I do it uh, with Josh Matches Brasses. Of course. Of course. Um, there you go. And I do it a lot with the Bearded Ladies Cabaret. Um, and, um, you know, I just get, I get, I do it with this um, band called the Good Timers, which is kind of like, um, uh, a bunch of the people are either in Sunra Orchestra or um, affiliated with Sunra Orchestra. Sunra um, Orchestra, wow. Um, I know who Sunra is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Philly's own Sunra Orchestra. Uh, hmm. So, um, but that's kind of like a marching New Orleans style brass band. Um, and then you know, I just get I just get called because there aren't that many sousaphone players around so if somebody needs sousaphone uh you know i'm on that list of people that can do it so i love it i love it i love it that's uh incredible yeah. uh dave Chappelle gives a little speech in one of i think it was the block party and he talks mm -hmm. about how important it is to understand timing with comedy and we all know with music you it's really all about timing yeah uh sometimes it's the difference between a hit album and an amateur crap uh, album, 
is all about timing. Has being a, a musician helped you in with your timing in comedy? Go ahead. I, yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, I've always been into the um, the idea of the concept album, and I've always loved um, writing and playing music for theater productions uh, where the timing has to be impeccable. Um, and I think that really informs my comedy in that, like, I always want to do a set in comedy that is going to uh, feel like it, it took you on a journey. Like I, I, I use a lot of um, theatrical devices mm -hmm. in, in my standup. Um, and I think that the only reason that I, I have thought to do this is because of my background in, in music and, and music and, you know, writing music for theater and stuff. Now I've seen other comedians attempt to now, what you do. You have a certain style of comedy, which is is unique for you. But I've seen variations of it. Mm -hmm. Not to make it sound like you aren't unique. One of the biggest problems with variations of your style is that the comedians or timing is always off. Therefore, it comes off kind of like the way I perceive Rent and Stimpy comedy uh, cartoons as a kid. It comes off cringy and off-putting, mm -hmm. but you, your timing, and you, you even do it in, in, in when, you, when you have normal conversations. You have this unique timing thing. You start and stop sentences, and then you deliver, you deliver the end of the sentence, and it cracks me up. And I, I, I know it sounds like I'm being silly around you, but you just, you just, you're just really well-versed in timing. And I don't even think you notice it when you talk because it's not, the, it's not that you deliver something inappropriate or, or, uh, or, you know, I would say, you know, kind of not nice, but it's, it's the way you start and stop talking, which keeps me laughing as I'm talking to you. Right, right. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Have you ever caught on to that? Number one, number two, how would you recommend new comedians develop an understanding of time? Well, as far as my thing, when I'm, when I'm doing stand-up, I definitely am well aware of my pacing. Uh, I think I'm probably, as far as pacing goes, the second slowest comedian in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, uh, and it's, it's definitely... Um, a a thought you know i thought about it i thought i thought about how i wanted to deliver um comedy uh and it you know and it is based on how a crowd how a certain crowd is reacting to me on a given night so it's not as though i'm just uh it's not just timing with the joke with being able to tell the joke but it's timing on how the crowd is is reacting to the joke as well whether it's uh, whether it's a big laugh or whether the joke bombed, you know, and I can still I can still uh, I've had times where because I, I use a lot of silence in my delivery um, mm -hmm. and I've had times where the joke didn't necessarily land. But then I would 
let the silence sit out there and that got a big laugh you know so it's right it's definitely a a thought through thing as far as um what what i would say to a new comedian is um in um in theater they say uh you have to find your inner clown um and i think that that's important you just have to find out what helps you be the you that you want to be on stage uh or in the inner clown thing is the the thing that is you on stage i suppose um yeah it's 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 totally individualistic like right i i don't nobody wants to see somebody go up there and do a, you know, Patton Oswalt impression or a Jerry Seinfeld or a, you know, a Tig Notaro impression. They want to see, they want to see something, uh, something individualistic and something new that they haven't seen before. So it's really just, you know, you just have to figure it out. You just have to get up there five nights a week, probably three sets a night for, three or four years before you'll figure out what's going to work for you, you know? It's like martial arts, it yep. sounds like to me. Yep. Uh, my first experience with going to a mixed martial arts school was a butt whipping for about the first year and six months. Mm -hmm. And then one day I blocked the kick and I was so shocked that I blocked the kick with my arm that I didn't block the other kick to my face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's how it happens. Yep. Uh, one of the coolest things I met, uh, Cassandra, another comedian you were with and uh, an incredible comedian out of North Philadelphia. For some reason, her name slips to my mind. Please help me if you can. Chanel, uh, Chanel Ali. Chanel Ali. She's an incredible comedian. She was talking to, Chanel Ali was talking to me about something with sound systems mm -hmm. and how they mean everything. And you hear the same thing from people who are intense vocalists and talented musicians. Yeah. You know, the sound, uh, Shana Ali said, if the sound system is trash, then I know I'm going to bomb that night. But if I go in and the sound system, if the sound guy is actually paying attention to the soundboard, she said, I know I'm about to do, I'm about to do some damage in the room. Yeah. What, what is that? I mean, because to my perception, you're just talking on the mic, but there is, I do notice that an echoey room is a different type of laugh than a room where the, where, the, where the microphone sounds like you're having a direct conversation with me. Well, so I think there's a, a number of things at play. And um, basically a comedy show is a extremely delicate thing. Um, sometimes you just have a great crowd. It doesn't matter what the room is like, what the space is like, what the sound system's like. The, the audience is just on board and ready to laugh but most of the time the audience has to be in a perfect situation for a show to go off without a hitch and hmm. with the sound if they are not understanding every word in a in a especially in a comedian that's more joke based 
like obviously you have a lot of comedians like your your Jim Carrey or your your uh, uh, Robin Williams that are very physical on stage mm-hmm. and can make a mm-hmm. laugh no matter what the situation. But if right. you're if you're a joke based comedian, which is I think most stand ups, uh, like you, the audience just needs to be able to understand every word because um, a lot of times you're playing with language. And uh, if you didn't catch the setup, then the punchline's not going to work. And if you get a few punchlines in a row that don't work, then the audience is just going to lose interest altogether. So even a good comedian can have difficulty in certain rooms just because the conditions aren't right. You know, on uh, on the same token, uh, there a, a lot of people say that you want to do a perfect comedy room is going to have super low ceilings because if the ceilings are too high or if you're outdoors, then the laughs die out really quickly. And the the audience has a subconscious, um, they pick up on this subconscious rhythm that's happening with the laugh lingering in a room where there's a lot of reflective surfaces in a low uh, ceiling space where the laughs are going to be louder. Um, So, you know, even the acoustics of the room and how the laughs are bound, you know, how other people are hearing other people laughing in the room is going to affect how they laugh. Right. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's as a, as someone who produces shows, I'm acutely aware of what the pitfalls are in, uh, in a room that doesn't work great for comedy. What do you do when you walk into a room that is a high ceiling? Uh, everything's wrong. The, the sound system is uh, meant for a for a, a band practice. I mean, how how do you approach that? Are you just like you just you know put on your uh, your blindfold and smoke a cigarette? I think you try to tailor your set to the room. You know, I have a lot of visual bits. I do a lot of stuff with props so maybe if the lighting is good and the sound is bad maybe i'll lean more on prop stuff um or if it's vice versa then i'll lean more on jokes um you know you also kind of like watch the other comedians and see how they dealt with the room it's easier to kind of go later in the set because you see how a crowd is reacting to certain types of jokes and you can kind of adjust your set list to to put in more of the types of jokes that, that people are getting behind. Uh, right. So you're always trying to make little adjustments to to tilt the, tilt the fortunes in your favor. So you never just uh, say, uh, forget it and it's like the stage on fire. <laughs> just watch it burn. You don't do that. Um, no, I try. I try not to do that. I always try to, you know, <laughs> I try to put on the, the best show I can uh, in a given situation, for sure. Got you. Uh, let me reintroduce you. I am speaking with uh, the very talented composer, musician, comedian Josh Matches. You can find his comedy on YouTube, and he's got more coming on there. And you can find. More about him on joshmatches.com. We'll be back with more kissing questions right after this.
Your brand is operating on your behalf 24 hours a day and brand consistency builds confidence. At 1030 Designs, we help you build brand confidence by creating cohesive logos, social media posts, websites, and marketing materials so your audience knows who you are at a glance. We're here to help and we're ready to get busy for you. Visit us at 1030designs.com today. That's 1030designs.com. incredible josh matches he's a comedian musician and composer josh uh, you are a composer you compose music mm-hmm. that sounds difficult um of course you're not doing it with a beat beat maker three on your uh on your uh ipad what what is being a composer like and and do you have to study to be a composer no, you definitely don't have to study to be a composer. I think. Oh, thank God! I'm starting tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think any I think anyone at any skill level can can start to write their own music. Um, so you you write musical notes and everything? Yeah, it just depends on the on the project. Um, I'm still with uh, guitar tabs. Yeah, uh, Josh. <laughs> well, I don't know how to do guitar tabs, but I could I could write you out a I could write you out the manuscript if you need. So, how many inch? What's the average amount of musician sheet music that you're writing for, and what's the most you've ever written? Well, in college, uh, we were required to write music for. I believe 11 musicians was the biggest. Um, I've made some sketches for concert bands. So, you know, that could be anywhere from like uh, 30 musicians to a hundred musicians, but I never, I never finished it, but um, that's, that's probably the most I've ever written for, but typically it's, you know, um, I'm either writing for maybe like a quartet or quintet or just uh, making music, um, you know, myself and, uh, and it's not necessarily made to be done with live musicians, but with, um, you know, triggered samples and stuff like that. Uh, how, how long into working with another musician do you realize they know nothing about music and just play by ear? Um, I could I could figure that out pretty quickly, <laughs> pretty much immediately. Uh, one time I was at open mic and the guy goes, "Oh, I see you're playing the G seven chord and it's open." I was like, uh, "Okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right." Um, 
What college did you go to for music? I went to Temple University. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Temple, uh, you were at what, in the, in the jazz program or something? Yeah, I started in the classical program, and then I switched over to the jazz program and finished there. There are so many talented musicians at Temple. Yeah. It's un-effing believable. Yeah. They used to have an open mic at Saxby's over at Temple. Right. And it was run at the time by a lady named Brianna Judge. Uh-huh. And I, I think someone else took it over right after her. And I was completely amazed at how many musicians and how talented they were all at Temple. Yep. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you guys are like tripping over talent over there. It's ridiculous. Yep. I mean, it's, a, it's an enormous, diverse university. So there's just all types of people there, you know, super skilled. It's also a big, you know, comedy university for sure, too. I had no idea. Well, yeah. um, we don't talk about he who we speak not of. Yeah, not here, but. <laughs> but there's other people, you know, like Bob Staggett went there. and Really? Uh, Tim and Eric went there. And I did not know that. Paul F. Tompkins. I did not know. And now Paul F. Tompkins, I know, lived in Philadelphia because he used to work at Hats in the Belfry on South Street. Oh, I didn't know that. I had, a, yeah. I had an obsessed girlfriend who... Uh, Oh, uh, she will listen to this. Anyway, she was obsessed <laughs> with a top hat. Uh-huh. It looked like something out of an Alice in Wonderland thing. And it was a nightmare. And uh, and it was a nightmare because she didn't have it. It was a nightmare that I got it for. It was, uh, hats in the Belfry. Um, uh, Thompson used to work there. Yeah. But, uh, so we all know he's a great comedian, but was he a good salesman? He was nice. He was nice. You know, South Street, I would say, I was with, uh, her name was Alicia. We we were together probably from like 95, 96, 97, 98. South Street in the late 90s, mid to late 90s was still, it was like Maniunk is now, Maniunk Main Street. And then I don't know what happened on South Street. Maybe the rent went too high. And so businesses that were there couldn't afford to stay and moved out. And a lot of the uh, hipster style businesses just vacated the premises and went went maybe out to the main line. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, he was he was really really great time down South Street. You would just go down there, spend your money on frivolous things like books of Dungeon and Dragons and hats from Hats in the Belfry, and of course condemnation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. pizza slices as big as your face. Yeah, yeah, that was that was. I don't know what South Street's like today. I don't, uh, I, well, uh, South Street's still great, I'm sure, but yeah, I don't know if, uh, yeah, I lost, I lost, South Street lost me uh-huh. as I got older. <laughs> it's weird. What have, what have you learned about yourself that you didn't know before this pandemic? And were you in the middle of some sort of tour? Because I know you are an official uh, musician. Yeah, so we were planning um, the uh, Dirty Dollhouse oh, yeah. album had been like we had our album release show. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I think the Friday before. Uh, I, I always yeah. kind of relate. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. yeah, I always relate everything to when the NBA shut down because that's I think when society as a whole was like, oh, we need to take this seriously. <laughs> First of all, uh, the NBA is like sadly they 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 unofficially officially run the country, but nobody nobody yep. wants to admit it. They're yep. they're like your stepmom, 
You know, yeah. she runs your dad's <laughs> purse and everything else. Yeah. yeah. Your, your dad is the NFL who you think should yeah. run things, but don't. Uh, second no. of all, I was there. March 6th was the night of the concert at Johnny Brenda's. I remember watching yeah. you play. You guys were so incredible that when people started talking, I yelled, shut the F up to a, a, a group of people over there. I don't know if you mm-hmm. heard that, but... <laughs> I don't think I did, I'm but a, I appreciate it. I'm a supporter of uh, a Dirty Dow House, so um, that was a great set, and 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 that was it was like it was like you know what that show was like for me. It was like the end of a really good sitcom series, when after things kind of come to a climax at the 13th episode, then they start changing things for the second season. And you're like, wait, what, what's going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> the music was so great. And it was just like at the end of a good, you know, sitcom that they don't have this great music on and you have these resolutions and everyone's making these new commitments. Oh, man. And then, you know, the person gets home and it's like, oh, your dad died or the dog yeah, died. Right. <laughs> your parents were getting divorced. And you're like, wait, what? That's what yeah. that March 6th, because everything shut down March 13th. That yep. was like the end. You guys were a major part of the end of a first season for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and I don't know if you know how important that is. <laughs> yeah. But that was a uh, that was a major time, man. How, how did you uh, take the news on March thirteenth? Um. Well, so I remember on March twelfth. We were going to have, as of that morning, uh, we were still planning on having the, the monthly comedy show that I run in Mount Airy at Earth Bread and Brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were kind of, by 10 a.m., we had posted, like, we're still on. We're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then they're looking at what was happening in New York and one of the comics was coming down from New York and we just didn't feel right uh, bringing a New Yorker down um, on the bus to Philly. And, you know, Montgomery County was starting to have some spikes in cases as well. River from Mount Airy. So uh, it was weird. It, It, that morning it felt like everything was going to be normal for another like few months. It did. And by the, by the evening it was like, we're not going to have anything for at least six months, if not more. You know, I think we're in month five now and it still feels like there's really no end. in sight. Yeah. I just didn't think it would go this long. Yeah. Where have you been hunkered down at? Uh, I'm in West Philly, 48th and Baltimore. What? Those are my old stomping grounds, you know? Yeah. I used to live on 51st and Springfield. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a bad neighborhood to spend the quarantine in because, it's you know, there's trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a nice backyard, and, you know, my room is big enough that I can uh, have a little recording studio, and I've turned my bedroom into a TV studio for the last week or so, uh, trying to get these web series uh, filmed and stuff, so... Tell me about these web series because you sent me some links and I was watching them with my wife. And yeah. I like what I saw. Well, who, who are, yeah. there, are there writers? Are there producers? Are there directors? Is there a sound guy? What's, 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 is there a cameraman? 
So, uh, uh, yeah, I did have a couple um, of comedians uh, help me with the writing of each web series. Um, but everything else production-wise, I'm doing myself. Mm. Uh, but uh, So, yeah, the first is called um, Josh Matchstick, the Tiny Cruise Ship Comedian. And it's about a comedian that was uh, a cruise ship comedian, like kind of like a hacky uh, stereotypical cruise ship comedian that was shrunk in an accident. So a lot of his comedy is centered around uh, being a tiny cruise ship comedian uh, uh, that has lost his wife recently. Oh, man. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, his, his wife left him. Huh. Uh, dark. Just, yeah, so it gets it gets a little dark. <laughs> a little dark. Um, uh, and um, can I ask about this one first? What? Yeah, like, how did this guy get shrunk? I mean, how did I shrunk the kids? Uh, well, so uh, I I don't know that that will ever actually be made clear, but um, I do have one joke. Uh about how he was one of the magic school bus kids mm -hmm. and he got expelled while he was small. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, who knows if that's really the way or if that's just a joke, you know? I got you. I got you. <laughs> On to the next one. Yeah. Uh, so then the other one is called Josh matches, destroys cat heckler. Um, so it's kind of about, uh, you know, all, pretty much all the comedy shows now are just done over Facebook live or zoom. Right. Uh, and so, um, we're all just at home doing stand-up comedy for a computer. Um, but my cat will sometimes talk to me. So I decided to, uh, to kind of play with that idea and I'm doing a zoom comedy show, but then my cat heckles me. So then I start talking to my cat as though she's a drunk patron at a comedy club. And uh, I destroy her. <laughs> um, are you worried about a reaction from Peter? <laughs> uh, I think most. I think it's pretty clear that I love my cat, and you know, my cat doesn't feel like she's in danger. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> no, no animals were harmed in the making of these uh, these videos. I guess. Yeah. The the one thing I am really. Uh, concerned about is that actual heck if it becomes popular that actual hecklers will come to my shows thinking that yeah i'm good at destroying hecklers and then they'll start heckling me i'm actually terrible at it really so please don't come to my shows and heckle me because <laughs> i can't actually do it now they're all being terrible at with dealing with hecklers usually means you end up punching somebody in the face being really good with hecklers means that you are able to verbally outwit them in front yeah. of the audience. Verbally punch them in the face. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's when you're really good at it. But if you're bad, you come off stage and, and, and just start wailing on, on uh, one of the patrons to the, uh, to the uh, comedy club. Um, right. Somewhere in the middle is you just walk off stage upset. Are you yeah. somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I'm more that... Yeah, yeah I, that I, was your way out. I, I was giving you that. I wanted you to say you were in the middle. <laughs> yeah, basically, I let them ruin my set and my night, and then I go home and I'm upset. 
I never <laughs> understood the mentality of a heckler. I'm not sure if they feel like they can do better, if they are better, or maybe they are just awful on the inside, like an apple with a worm and a rotten core. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, I think there's some of that, some of those types of people, and then there's also the types of people that, there's kind of three types. Yeah, there's those terrible people. Mm-hmm. Then there's the people that think that they, they want to be part of the show. Mm. Uh, and sometimes they think they're helping the show by heckling when they're actually harming the show. Um, and then there's the third type that's what we call the positive hecklers. Po- positive? People, will, people will like shout out encouragement if they think you're funny and they think that that, that you want that, but that's actually ruining, you know, people's timing. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, and it's all it's still heckling like you'll you know yeah if you get too much you'll still get kicked out of a club even if you're being positive. Uh, I was watching one comedy show and this uh, beautiful young lady told the comedian who was single at the time you know I want to sleep with you. She didn't say mm-hmm. sleep, but you know what I'm saying. And yeah. she was so attractive that he was distracted and couldn't even finish his set. So yeah. he just came off stage, bought her a drink, and they left together. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was not it was not good because he was like on a on a roll. He was so funny that she yep. felt the need to say that. Right. And it was like, well, that that, that 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 was annoying because as as someone I was only watching a video. As someone who's watching the video, I'm like, Well, you know, you just ruined a nice set. <laughs> I mean this guy was yeah. funny. So I, I I don't know what happened after he left off stage other than buying her a drink. So I don't really know what happened after that. But I they're assume, married now. Yeah, married with kids. They're married, and and she don't want him to be funny no more because she don't want him meeting other women that way. <laughs> <laughs> what can we as fans of your comedy and music do to support you right now? Um, I would say just uh, follow like and retweet and share and and that kind of stuff um uh yeah spread the word um of not just me but everyone i think uh uh everyone could anyone who's not rich and famous right now could could use uh some some uh some help spreading the word and um because uh, there's no way for us right now to uh, get in front of crowds and, and do it ourselves. So, um, yeah. I, I want to talk about something. I don't know if it's uh, private, private, but it's uh, pretty cool. You started this movie, Flash Mob, and <laughs> I've been inviting people on Twitter to mm-hmm. uh, to join this. I'm not sure if I should be inviting people, but yeah, it's absolutely, really yeah. awesome. And uh, what you do is you get a group of comedians who are incredibly funny and you guys watch a movie at the same time, the same night together, and everybody tweets something comedic about the movie. I don't know if they mean to do it on purpose. I, uh, uh, it's, it's just really great. Sometimes I miss it. As a matter of fact, most times I miss it because I'm doing interviews at the same time. But what yeah. I do, I wake up the following morning and I actually read every comment on the flash mob hashtag mm-hmm. movie flash mob hashtag on Twitter and I like them all. 
<laughs> yeah. And I know you're probably like, well, we're not watching the movie now. Why is Quincy liking them all? Because they're so funny. Um, I love this idea. Um, this is like Mystery Theater 3000. But, yeah, yeah, Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, but bigger, I think. Bigger because it's on Twitter. Uh, yeah. How did you, uh, how did all this come out of your, uh, how did you birth this brainchild? Um, I, I think I just, uh, for whatever reason, when I watch a certain type of movie, um, it, it seems to come out the most with Disney movies. <laughs> uh, I just start writing jokes, really? but it's like all, it's all kind of like slightly campy classic movies. Yeah. Um, and it could, be, it could be a newer one too. We did Knives Out recently and that was really fun to live tweet. Yeah. But it's like these movies with like a little bit, a little bit of camp, like not too, too much, but like just a little bit. And, and, uh, I just, I just, um, sorry about that. Uh, I just can't stop writing jokes, uh, when I watch these kinds of movies. And then I was, my birthday is April 16th. So obviously it was the beginning of the pandemic and nobody was seeing one another. So, uh, a friend of mine asked what I wanted to do for my birthday. And I was like, I don't know. Why don't we just uh, live tweet the Ninja Turtles? Because uh, it just like perfectly fit into that, into that category. And uh, pretty much, you know, everyone who came to that loved it. I was like, we could just do this weekly, make it kind of like a little movie club. Um, just invite everyone, you know, everyone that's funny uh that i know and um you know it just grew from there now now people are doing it that i don't even really know personally uh and um yeah it's it's just a fun it kind of like it doesn't actually replace crowd work you know what comedians call crowd work like talking to the audience right but it it almost does you know it really gets that that muscle in your brain moving of like can I make a joke really quick about this thing that just happened? Um, so, uh, and it's just fun to watch, you know, it's, it's pretty much all been great movies. And even when it's not a, a particularly great movie, it's still fun to, to tweet about and you can interact with the other people on, on, uh, in the, in the movie flash mob hashtag and, and, it. and you know, it's, it's, it's everything that's fun about, um, an interactive style of watching movie movies and social media and everything. So. And is there, is there like a normal schedule where people who are, uh, who may hear this and want to be a part of this, uh, how, how can they uh, also be a part of this movie flash mob on Twitter? Um, so you can follow the handle at movie flash mob and I'll post um, the day of what the movie will be. We alternate between Tuesdays and Wednesdays, mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, usually at eight thirty. And we're going to start adding um, a short afterwards. So we'll, I think this week we're going to. Um, I'm not sure exactly what's going to win, but I think it's. Um, uh, well, th this will be this will air later, but this week is Shark Week, so we're going to I think do Jaws. Right. Uh, and and actually tweet in the hashtag movie flash mob and shark week 
as right. opposed to the movie the movie hashtag. And then we'll do um, a Real Housewives episode afterward because uh, a lot of the comedians really enjoy reality TV. So, and you like you said, you not only have a handle, but you have uh, well an account for Movie Flash Mob, so people can yep. follow that. I'll make sure I leave that in the link in the description. Josh, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you. You are one funny dude. I'm thank sorry you. that I just seem to laugh while you're talking normally, but you say some funny stuff, and, and, oh, I, and I love talking to you. Love talking to you, too. You take good care of yourself, and uh, I'll be talking to you. Yep. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Questions has been a production of Anchor.fm and the good people over at Spotify. We also want to thank the talented staff of 1030 Designs for crafting our logos and promotional material. I'm Quincy Stallworth. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe and have a great day.